This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Federal Ammunition, Waltons, Nutrisource Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, North Dakota Tourism, and by Grain Belt Beer. I'm currently sitting on the front porch of a 130-year-old ranch house in Alberta, Canada. The northern lights are rolling above, and I'm sitting next to my buddies George Lyle, Ben Bredigan, and Perry McCormick, president of Pheasants Forever in Canada. We've been hunting Hungarian partridge and waterfowl the last few days. We're going to tell you all about this wild adventure and a whole lot more. A toast to the hunters from your friends at Grain Belt. May the mornings be clear and the fresh air be crisp. May you find solace in the silence. May the stillness settle your soul. May your long shot stay true. May your heart roam free. May you find what you seek in the fields you stock. May your call to the wild be answered. And at the end of the day, may you share in the thrill of the hunt with your friends. So here's to the eight pointers and the 12 ounces. Here's to you and to your thirst for adventure. Bring Grain Belt to the outdoors with our limited edition premium hunting season pack. This season, enter to win a hunting trip for two to Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you can find premium 12 and 24 pack cans. For more information, visit our website at grainbelt.com forward slash hunting dash trip. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. George is playing the air guitar over here. It is 12.29 a.m. We did not plan on doing a podcast right now, but we've been talking so smart for the last couple hours, we thought we better just turn the microphones on and let other people hear what we're saying here. To my left, the one and only cowboy, George Lyle. George, welcome to the show. Thank you, Travis. Great to be here. Next to you, Mr. Ben Bredigan. Yep, just happy to be sitting here next to a Cowboy George over here, home on yeah. the prairie. Home on the prairie. And uh, between Ben and Perry is the cameraman who doesn't exist, right, in this in this uh, world. He's, he's all of a sudden shocked right now um, because the cameraman never exists in everything that we do when we're out here on the road filming. Even when we make a dinner, they don't appear. They don't get to eat. It's like they're not even there, even though he's doing the dishes. Yes. And to my right <laughs> is Perry McCormick. Perry, thank you so much for staying up late with this motley crew of ours here that we have brought into your country. Uh, Perry, you are the president of Pheasants Forever Canada. And before we start this, I just have to ask, when you come down to the United States, do you get a little bit nervous at the border when you're crossing into our country? Actually, to be honest with you, Trav, um, I'm more comfortable going to your country with my firearms than I am coming home, <laughs> quite frankly. When we get up there, we are doing everything by the books, and it's still nerve-wracking. Ben, you're, you, George, well, you guys crossed into the country here separate from me, but yet you had a nerve-wracking Ben Bredigan story. Well, it was, it, you know, I was calm, cool, and collected. I wasn't nervous at all. Are you kidding? My palms are sweating and all that. It's like, but we're not doing anything wrong. It's just so funny. It's like, oh, my gosh, what are they going to ask us? Where are we from? What are we doing? Yeah. All that stuff. And, and then you got Ben, who's leading the charge. All I had to do was hand over my passport to Ben and like, yeah. yep, I'm George. Hi, I'm coming into Canada. 
So Ben had to do most well, of the talking. When, when you've made as many runs into Mexico as I have, you know, <laughs> it's just another day in the life. Wow. What did he say? So <laughs> it was awesome. So we pull up and, uh, you know, what are you, why are you coming to Canada? What are you going to do here? You know, we got a dog, we got a dog box on the truck that can hold eight dogs and we're hauling um, it's a It's a monster dog truck. Oh yeah. It's a monster truck, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ben is all of four foot, eight and a half. Yep. And his truck stands about, I mean, I'm like six, four. Hey, it's with there without cowboy boots. With the cowboy boots it's on. It's coming handy, though. You know, my catalytic converter is not touching the grass here. 100%. It's super dry. So mm-hmm. that's why I've got that big jacked up truck. See? Yeah, it's- well, we pull up to the border and we have this big truck and it's all Mac Daddied out. And we got all these, it's a custom dog box in the back. So obviously we're doing, we're coming here for, we're not here to sell uh, scented candles, you know. You didn't come to knit. We didn't come here to knit, you know. That's Which whatever. that's an inside joke because for the last ten years, every time we go somewhere, like I didn't come here to knit. Yes, I'm going. No, we're going when I, when we yeah. get to go, when we're gonna go bird hunting, and everyone starts getting a little lax, and should we do something else like go fishing or something? I go. We didn't come here to knit. Let's go bird hunting. Anyway, so the she says, "Oh, you're here to hunt. How many guns do you have?" And Ben, without blinking his eye, goes nine, and she goes. It actually sets her back like she tilts her head back like she Holy recoiled cow. pretty good. She recoiled. Yeah. yeah, that's a great term. She yeah. recoiled and said, Nine guns? Why do you need gun nine guns? And Ben says, I like guns. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in the patch seat going, Come on, dude. You can say, say something some, else. Do <laughs> something different. Say something different. I like guns. You know, when we're you're playing uh like like touch football or whatever, and you're like you can't leave the line until you say five Mississippi or whatever. Something like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, say three Mississippi. Else. Please, Ben, say something else. And he goes uh, 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 for different applications. It was so. So it was, it was so off. Like it, it, it was. It caught me out. Caught me off guard so badly because it's like, why would you ask me why? So like I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I genuinely enjoy, I'm a gun enthusiast. Like. I made this day. I might want to shoot this gun. This day, I want to shoot that gun. But all that came out in my like, oh, I like guns. <laughs> so I jump. So I jump in from the passenger seat. Now we're in a monster truck. So now, you got I'm eight pretty, dogs, by yeah, the way. Pretty far away from and her. And a trailer. And I got to yeah. shout across. I'm like, we are upland hunting and we are waterfall hunting. So we need different guns. And she kind of looked at me like she kind of understood that, but. There so was still what do you do with the other seven guns? Is what she or whatever the other six guns? Yeah. So did she take everything apart? Your vehicle, your dog boxes? No. No. no she she kind of looked at us and went, "Okay, I, I we had an understanding." It was a great uh, overall. It was a very no painless, yeah. very painless experience. It was really easy. Everyone was great. Yeah. Um, she had no problem. I mean, don't no. get us wrong. It was just Ben. Yeah. <laughs> The nerves, though, that's what I'm saying. No, it, you get there and you're like, okay, like even Lance and I were like, okay, we are going up and we're staying at this this place because this is the place we're going to, and we're meeting with this person and we're doing this and we're coming out on Tuesday, like so because. And here's why: I have come through Canada multiple times, 
Lance, our videographer today, we've been working together for like 13 years or something like that. And we've had, you know, when you bring all this camera equipment across, you really don't know what you're going to get with the Border Patrol. That's huge. It is. And so they could say, well, no, you can't uh, film in our country because we want you to hire some someone from or, Canada. Or, or, yeah, you can do it, but you're going to pay $5,000. Yeah, or and you it's need, a, you need dis- a work visa to come into discretion, town. And, right? and it really is, yeah. So uh, we're filming here with Perry, and so Perry wrote a nice letter and signed it. You know, it's got Pheasants Forever Canada as a letter of invite to say that a production company from Minnesota is coming up here to film a story about what opportunities exist up here and it's a tourism but it's also conservation and it's educational and so you know and all the different canadian filming tours so i have a whole folder of stuff and sometimes we get into it and i've had you know like if we're filming uh, fishing like there's been times where my boat has been taken apart to the tackle boxes cover off the boat they take it off and they, they go in all the storage and they look through the tech. Like, I'm looking at my tackle boxes and saying, why did you go this through isn't, my- This isn't a three-eighths ounce jig. Yeah, this exactly. in the quarter ounce I jig know. box. I know. So there's so many things and we're bringing in food. And we're like, wait, no, we you can't got, bring potatoes. You guys are picked on more than anyone I know. That's a constant story for the last 10 years or plus. You guys are picked on mm. the film industry somehow, some for some reason. Sure. So, anyway, there's a lot of anxiety at the border, and Ben likes guns. We've established that, so that's been the theme the last couple days. But you do have guns for different applications. We'll get into the applications, because we've hunted now for the last few days. And I did mention up the top here, George, last night you said, I would love to see the Northern Lights. And I walked outside a little bit ago, and I go, George, better come out here. The sky was dancing. Well, like you said, we've been here a couple days yeah and actually last night you walked outside and you came to the door and said oh my gosh george the northern lights and i looked at you through the screen door and i'm like his eyes got as big as saucer just like a a child at christmas (laughs) right i I was excited excited. and all that and then i looked at i looked at you through the screen door and i went yeah you're full of it and then you started laughing and so I, I called would your never bluff. Do that to you. Fool you me did. once, right? Tonight? Yeah. So then tonight we had a beautiful dinner and all five of us are sitting around and, and, and Perry said, I think there's an opportunity to see the Northern Lights tonight, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Oh, he you, did when I was outside? Yeah. And we we're talking about when you came to the door and said, hey, the Northern Lights are out. And Perry chimed in and said. Yeah, there's just, I knew a spot that was away from the yard light that would give us optimum view and uh that's an old billy martin's cabin just back behind the lodge we're staying at it kind of gives you a better perspective of the the whole sky out there perry how far are we from another house or uh-huh. or ranch or i mean i feel like we are the nearest house 30 would minute be, drive from yeah. somebody else right now yeah. hold on hold on a second is that Perry 30-minute drive? Yeah. <laughs> or is yes. that an average you mean person's... Okay, we'll, we'll keep it to Mario? miles. <laughs> we'll keep it to I have miles. Never you can say kilometers. I mean, someone can, come, someone can click in <laughs> 0.621 kilometers to miles. Yeah. What anyway. is it? Do you, okay, so your, your highway speed limit is 
is a hundred kilometers, but do you guys have a speed? You don't have a. I feel like you make up for any lost time when you're in the field. Well, I have uh, never seen anybody take a field like you. All our back roads are eighty kilometers an hour, and our highways are generally a hundred kilometers an hour. So that's sixty-two miles an hour on highways, or fifty miles an hour on our gravel roads. But all our concessions are about ten percent. So. Everybody here drives about 10 kilometers or six miles over the speed limit. So we can do 90 kilometers on our 80 kilometers so of roads. I, I'm not a math magician here by any means, but so you're saying like 50 miles an hour on the gravel and 10% of that is roughly like 85 miles an hour. I think. <laughs> but if you're doing that and well. here comes Perry in the wheat field across right next to the road oh. and he passes you in the wheat Hold field. Hold on, that's a good point. So I will say Perry pretty much follows the limits of, of Alberta. Until that's on the roadways, I'm pretty sure the limits are off in a wheat field. We feel different, and that's how you get the name Perio Andretti. Perio Andretti. <laughs> he likes to say, "No, I'm Perio Lemieux." That's after right. Mario yeah, Lemieux. Uh, that's what they called me. You when know, I played the hockey. legendary NHL hockey well, player. Yeah. But but also, we've already patched one of Perry's tires. Because it was <laughs> flat this morning when we woke well, up. Yeah, they're gonna melt. Like that's <laughs> no. what happens. <laughs> Brand no, it's because I had to go too slow for you <laughs> Americans not figuring out what kilometers to miles meant or something like that. How many miles you got on that new truck? I got 44,000 kilometers, which so is about 30,000 miles. Yeah, like you think about a Formula One car, they got to change them like every few laps. So, mm-hmm. hey, those been tires were laps. new. Hey, just so you know, on the second tire that's on there, the light came on the way back tonight. So we don't know what's going to happen. Barry, <laughs> in your defense, like we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Tonight, I just said, all right, Perry, I know where the ranch is. You go, <laughs> go ahead. ahead. <laughs> and I think yeah. they met us. They went back to this beautiful scenic overlook, clean birds. And uh, I think uh, they pulled out from cleaning all our all our partridge by the time we made it back so well it just so you guys know you know how like the ding 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 if you're um not buckled in <clears throat> you can um override that by buckling it in and then you sit on the seatbelt. <laughs> so i wasn't comfortable with that after a little while <laughs> yeah, i, took I it. noticed that <laughs> coming home tonight i know we're driving back and i took that out so that i could strap myself <laughs> and perry was driving through the field this morning george <laughs> buckled up on the ground and perry we were... is a slow driver he says 100 you keep saying that i was like slowing down and he's putting his seatbelt on and i'm going Wow. <laughs> you Americans need some bubble wrap or and, what's and going you're on? The, you're the slow one out of your buddies, you were saying, when 100%. you come up hunting. We needed to come I'm... up and film a, a reality show. Anyway, on with the the information that people have probably come here for. Uh, we've <laughs> hey, had a great hold on. time. This is not, everyone probably knows the show, I would hope, Click and Clack. I don't think we're talking about oh, automotive. The Tappet Brothers? The, oh, <laughs> best. Yeah, one of the best uh, shows ever. But. So about we came, car repair and all that. So, yeah, I think we're here to bird hunt. I think so. We came a long way, roughly 32 hours from door to door. And what are you doing here, George? Do it. Good for you. Brought to you by 
Grain, Grain Bell Premium. Beer. Mm-hmm. Premium. The beer choice of all hockey players in southwest Minnesota, anyway. Really? Brewed in the yeah. lovely city of New Ulm. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> Good sponsor push. Which, yeah. hey, by the way, another sponsor push here, George, that you were talking about. So you switched over to Nutrisource Dog Foods, and you... Um, had some interesting results. What were you saying this morning about it? You you like it, and why? Yeah. So oh, earlier this summer, I no this spring, I switched over to Nutrisource. I was having issues with my last dog food supplier, and um, I've seen excellent results. I was I got a my pups uh, just turn he'll turn two in two weeks, and um, I was having a hard time keeping weight on him. And my other dogs had inflammation um, from the feed I was using. And so uh, I switched, and I've seen better weight gain, muscle mass, and more endurance, longer run time. From you also dogs. mentioned you don't have to feed them as much, too, which? Uh, so I feed a lot of dogs. Yep. And if I can lower the scoops per day, that puts money back in my pocket right yep and i'm not worried about the money i'm worried more worried about the nutrition but if nutrisource delivers what i need which is proven to this i mean again it's been seven eight months since they've been on it uh that that's that's better for the dogs the dogs are healthier they look great i mean in their and in the performance in the field which is where i need it most yeah uh, is 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 excellent. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that because that's what I've experienced. But I don't have the decades of you know experience with anything else. So when I hear these kind of stories, that makes me feel good that I know that anything that I'm talking about is also happening with other people too. So I'm a little bit older than you are, Travis. Just a little. So just a skosh. You got a lot of wisdom over there. Anyway, I've been feeding dogs for decades, and. um uh, I was pretty brand loyal because I saw good results, but I think something wavered in that and uh, changing the Nutrisource. And I'm not not sponsored by Nutrisource, <clears throat> but they could help me out. Anyway, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, I'll, I will feed what best fits my dogs and and gives me the performance out of my dogs that I need. I've never been happier. Love it. Love it. Okay, Perry, how long have you been with Pheasants Forever up here in Canada? Seven years. And what did you do before that? I had a, I actually had a career with Ducks Unlimited Canada for 32 years. Gotcha. Yeah. And can, conservation is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, obviously. well, 32 years with Ducks. I, uh, I was trained as a biologist, and um, I got into the fundraising aspect of, of Ducks Unlimited uh, early in my career. As you know, conservation... Uh, without funding is just a uh, conversation. So it seemed to me pretty important to kind of chase that into the business and uh, eventually got into management. I, I ran uh, fundraising for DU here in Canada. We had 650 chapters at the time and and had a lot of success uh, growing that program. And uh, anyway, I got all my numbers when i hit 55 i reached retirement age and an opportunity came up with pheasants forever and uh i could use all my 
conservation management and fundraising skills and uh, help grow pheasants forever here in Canada. Yeah. And I was surprised. How many chapters are up here? Well, we've only got three chapters, but mm-hmm. uh, we kind of hit over our weight, I think. Um, we've got a chapter in Medicine Hat, in Calgary, and in uh, Red Deer, all in Alberta. And uh, collectively, we've got about a 1,000 members, and we raise uh, over a million dollars a year and put that back into habitat here in, in southern Alberta. Hmm. Um, how... How is it received by, because, uh, well, how long has Pheasants Forever been alive up here in Canada? You guys started up in 1984, I believe, in the U.S., and we were 10 years later, 1994. We started in uh, Regina, Saskatchewan, actually. Um, That chapter's um, dissolved now, but that's where it started here in 1994, and... uh, our Alberta chapters were only a couple of years behind that, so we're hitting 35 years now, and uh, have, we've had a great run. We've been collectively growing since we've started, and and the horizon looks pretty good. Well, we're not able to hunt for pheasants because we're non-residents. No, you're allowed to hunt pheasants here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wait, is it Saskatchewan? It's Saskatchewan, and uh, yeah, I... I grew up in Saskatchewan, and I'm living in Alberta. And even if my folks still owned a ranch there, I can't go back to Saskatchewan and hunt pheasants. You cannot. No. You have to be a you have resident to be a Saskatchewan in- resident. Huh. But Alberta is wide open. We we invite and cherish uh, sportsmen from all over North America to come to our place. To you hunt. and everybody that lives up here. Oh my. God. Gosh, Ben, I, I mean, the first person that came to the door just before, like, have you ever had anyone so eager to give you permission? So normally it's a dance, right? Like, we, we've talked about this on podcasts before about mm-hmm. how you go about asking permission, right? Yeah. And here it was just, I mean, I've never seen it. So Linda, Linda came to the door, George and I, first day. And walk up and and like you, you got it. Where you probably didn't have quite as much nerves as the border patrol. At that no, point. not at all. Because this is like okay, we. I've no, played, he, he, his sweat was over. He already broke the sweat, and he, it was like a fever. Right, you're building up yeah. at the at at the border, and you build up to a fever. And that night, you get a good night's sleep, and you break your fever. And that morning, we go out, and then go, yeah. Ben. It yeah. was it was it was great. I mean, so walk up to the door and and. And knock on the door, like, okay, well, like, and a little nervous, right? Because it's first morning, we're excited, we want to get out and hunt. And we had just got here the night, previous night before, and knock on the door, and Linda comes to the door, and it's like, hey, nice, uh, you know, uh, I'm Ben Brett again. We're just up in the area hunting. Love to be able to hunt your property. And she cut me off and said, oh, sure. Yeah, have at it. You, do you know where everything is? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I do. I got this man. And, and then it was like, uh, you know, the dance is over. It's like, oh, oh, oh. You, you were su- you were surprised how oh, quick it happened. Yeah, surprised. Yeah. And just you were just, just getting into your spiel. Yeah, like yeah. I was ready to lay it on thick. Yeah. <laughs> and and I was like, oh, thank, well, thank you, ma'am. And she's like, oh, you're from the south, are you? <laughs> well, that was I said, the best. Well, <laughs> I, 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 so hold on, I got to chime in here. I go. 
He, he I, I'm sitting in a truck. Said you, you know, you got this, Ben. <laughs> was that? I was talking to you on the phone. You were giving yeah. us a play oh, by yeah, play. Yeah, 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 we were down yes. our yeah, drive. You up. were still in North we Dakota. Were, yeah, we were you're, eighteen hours. Yeah, you're our still journey. eighteen hours away, and Ben and I are already up here. And I'm like giving you the play by play. Oh, he's and got the, his hands in the air. Oh, she's smiling. He's yeah. smiling. She opens the door and she's like <laughs> in oh, her I robe. Could, by the way, yeah, she was in her robe. Everyone is in their bathrobe apparently before yeah. 10 a.m. Barry, <laughs> yeah. do you have a bathrobe? I haven't seen you in your bathrobe yet. <laughs> I didn't bring mine. <laughs> oh, that's a bummer. But seriously, it was like she comes to the door. Yes, she's in her bathrobe. But anyway, it was morning. I was and too. You were not. Anyway. Anyway, I see Ben like, and I, right away, like sm- I could see I couldn't really see Ben's face, but I could see her face, and she was smiling right away. And then it was like boom, boom, and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't think they're talking about hunting anymore. I could literally tell she was like, looking the look on her face, like, wait, you came all this way to hunt those little gray partridge we have on our ranch? <laughs> it was it was so cool. And then and, and then like the next guy. Anybody that comes this far, you can go ahead and do that. Yeah, just, I mean, salt of the earth. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you you hear it time after time, but really when people are willing to like go over the top, we ran into another landowner. Um, Nelson. Nelson. And, like, he went out of his way. He was like, oh, you know, I we, we lease this land, but. I'll start making phone calls for you. And he called his buddy that was an outfitter that did deer stuff. And he's like, well, I'll see if I can help you get on that land. And, and we, we had just, I, we kind of flagged him down on the side of the road. We were just sitting on a gravel road. And I mean, he just went way, way, way above and beyond what any normal, well, I shouldn't say normal, but any. What we're used to anyway. And then all of a sudden, to, a yep. couple hours later, the rancher, you get a phone call and it was me. Yeah, well, you're yeah. like, oh, well, fellas, I'll be real honest with you. Uh, we kind of take that stuff for granted here, unfortunately. Most of us people do. You guys seemingly have uh, are more respectful to our landowners, and and uh, and quite frankly, they welcome American sportsmen up here beyond belief. It's it's amazed me for years, and it's because you guys do the right things you make sure you're in the uh, uh right place at, at the right time and and um and contact those landowners and give them full respect and i'm not sure that i mean i think we're learning from you how to treat our landowners quite frankly yeah but you got that phone call right after and you call me back and you're like yeah he just called me back he said go ahead well yeah you called me or i i heard the phone i turned on my ringer which i never have on my ringer it's always vibrate and I told George, I was like, oh, please don't be Travis Frank. Please don't. And which is the, Travis, in your, in, in your defense, it's the only time I've ever said that. Yeah, no. And I, I pulled out and it was, tra- at first it was Travis Frank. I was like, yeah. oh, hey, Trav. Yeah. Actually, it was, happened a couple times. We couple were in times. the vehicle for a long way. I don't know how to say this. It is a long drive up here. It, 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 it is, is worth it. It is a long way. But it back to that, yeah. it was like the phone rang. And Ben, not once, not twice, maybe even three times. The lady, um, don't be Travis Frank. Don't be Travis Frank, because we we were anticipating the landowner calling us back, and Ben would look, and he'd look up at me and go, 
That's Travis. (laughs) (laughs) We we both sink our heads. And then the fourth time was a charm because it was, it was an Alberta number. And so Ben answers it and it's like, yeah, you explained everything. And that's when we met, um, Darren, Darren and Darren's like, okay. And Darren, uh, this is over the phone. This wasn't face to face. It was a little cooler, a little cooler interaction. Correct. It was more wanting to gather information and what were you doing and where you at and where you from all the stuff that you would expect. Yeah. The normal dance. But it was a great conversation. Then he goes, Yeah, so stay out of there, do this and do that, and you're good. And I'll might meet you out there. And then you guys were there. Mm-hmm. And he did meet us. And there. he did. He came out. He met us there and we bit. shook yeah. hands and then he realized that like Perry was just saying, and it's like, you know, show respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're ever in a Western state, if the gates close, close the gate. If the gates open, leave the gate open. How uh, do you close a Texas gate? <laughs> how do you? How do you close a Texas gate? How do you close gate? a Texas no gate? Thing. How do you close, like? That's a cattle guard in America, I believe. It's yeah. a Texas gate here. So, like, us, George and I, us tourists, like, stopping, like, taking a picture. Oh, this is great. A Texas gate. Oh, it was the best. There was three things, three things up here. Texas gate. I'm like, what is a Texas gate? And we pull up. I'm like, oh, cattle guard. And it's so funny that we're in Alberta. We're in Canada, and they call it a Texas gate because it must be where it's originated. A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. And then the next thing was a, uh, instead of back home, it'd be a minimum maintenance road. Here, it's called a fair weather road. Hmm. Kind of like those Vikings fans. And then the other one is uh, not open range, but what's the when the cattle are free roaming? What do they call it? At large, cattle at large. Yeah, at yeah. Large. yeah. Cattle, yeah. Cattle, like they're killer cattle. cattle, cattle. At large. Cattle large, like uh, hey. stock at large. Lance, yeah, stock at large. Stock at large. Oh, stock at stock large. Stock at large. Yeah. yeah. You never, stock. Yep. I uh, never yeah. know. It could be a sheep or who knows. The flush, so fast it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive Flight Control FlexWad technology and a mix of copper-plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strains through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Walton's.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. A healthy dog is a happy dog, and a dog's optimal health ultimately starts with an optimal diet. That's why I trust Nutrisource Performance Dog Food to keep Daisy healthy 
and running to her full potential. Nutrisource now has a full circle feeding plan that can help your dog achieve their full potential too. The full circle feeding plan revolves around their entire lineup of Nutrisource dog foods that contain their good for life system. The Nutrisource good for life system is packed with probiotics, prebiotics, and proprietary minerals that work together to support your dog's heart health and gut health. By combining this system and all of their dry foods and wet foods, you can rotate carbs and proteins like chicken, beef, fish, and lamb to meet and exceed your dog's needs and accelerate their natural desire to eat. Plus, their toppers like kombucha add even more health benefits for our dogs. Learn more about Nutrisource dog foods and the benefits of their full circle feeding plans at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. We are hunting pretty close to where Hungarian partridge were introduced in yeah. North America and they took hold. Yeah. This is, this is ground zero. This is a place that we talked about this tonight at dinner. And from this part in Alberta, most of the partridge that we have down in Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota. I mean, like, they came Yeah, from the here. Great Plains, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a, a release started in 1908 at Mindapur, Alberta, which is about 10 miles south of Calgary. Okay. So that's actually four hours west of where, where we are here. Pretty close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty close, yeah. But it was an amazing thing. The, Hun, the Hungarian partridge was released throughout North America in trials all over the place and really never took hold pockets here and there. But that release in 1908 at Mindapur resulted in populating the prairies, if you will. If you can believe it by 1913, five years after the release, there was an open season on gray partridge in Alberta. They literally spread across the entire province in five years. That is so crazy. Mm. Like, it's wild how, I guess, a testament to how good of a fit it was here for them. Yeah, It it just had to be perfect conditions. What, What we're famous for in southern Alberta is Chinook winter winds. Chinook is a Blackfoot uh, name for a snow eater. So we get these winds in the wintertime, which takes um, the snow off the landscape and opens up them stubble fields. So those piles it up and winds rose yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah, and 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 them 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 partridge have have enough to feed. And in them days, of course, there was a real mosaic of grasslands and uh, and cropland and lots of edge. So. Th- Conditions were 100% perfect. And th- by the 1930s, they were so abundant. Th- there's uh, articles I've read that talk about them almost like insects, like locusts. The by Hungarian the, partridge. Hungarian partridge in the 40s in the Brooks area of Alberta. It's written up as like locusts. And there's stories of. Uh, old timers uh, visiting hotels, guys I knew, um, my dad's age, kind of, you know, the 90 year old guys are gone now, tell me stories about partridge in the bottom of the basement at the Brooks Hotel, five feet deep and 10 piles in the basement from all the gentlemen that were coming to Southern Alberta 
to hunt the Hungarian partridge. You would think it wouldn't be, you know, like back then, how much did it cost for a shotgun shell? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. the the price to pull the trigger and then ha- have hundreds of it. What was the limit back then? Twenty five. I have limit? no idea. I, the other curious thing is like, did people travel to do that or was that just a... They traveled. But what more interesting is the pheasant re- was released, the ringneck pheasant released in nearly the same location, only about 10 miles apart, south of Calgary in 1908. And uh, they didn't open the season here in southern Alberta until 1937. So it took them, what's that, 29 years, 29, 30 years before yeah. them to get established in southern Alberta, where it took the Hun five years. Yeah. Cooler than that is by the 40s, we were shooting 140,000 pheasants a year in Alberta. I wonder how many hunters are yeah. in Alberta at that we time. We had Ben Crosby. We had... Every Hollywood star that ever hunted come to this province, and people from around the world come to southern Alberta. It was the absolute mecca of pheasant hunting in the 40s, 50s, and into the 60s. You hear about that, and you hear about it in the Dakotas and South Dakota, and then Iowa, you know, pheasants being just insane. At one point, it was, yeah, it was incredible. Mm -hmm. They're getting back. Yeah, well... Well, I think, and, and the sad part is in comparison, that was 140,000 at our peak that we were shooting. What is it now? Less than 20. Hmm. 20,000 birds. Do you know the numbers on partridge for harvest? No. Hunter I, harvest? No, there's just nobody that collects that up here, that, that kind of data. Is it, why is it a bird that doesn't get respect? I feel like people don't. I mean, we certainly haven't seen any Hungarian partridge hunters up here. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to go here, guys. You know, Perry's. We all love pheasant hunting, but, yeah. man, a Hungarian partridge is something special. Yeah. So I don't get it. I don't get why they don't get the respect. But They they live in some of the coolest places. I have hunted Hungarian partridge, obviously, in North Dakota, but in Montana, Idaho. I mean, some of these places where a dog goes on point, and you just stop for a second, and you're like, Look around. They are simply, a, they're passively hunted. People that go waterfall hunting, people that come up here will shoot them when they see them kind of thing. But there's just very, very few people that focus and concentrate. Been here. Been so here. it'll it'll go pheasant number one. Then you call them Shark chickens. Shark tails, yeah. Shark chickens, tail grouse, yeah. yep. The yep. locals call them chickens here. And yep. then huns, third. The huns are like kind of the coho salmon. Of the West Coast, where everybody's after the big kings or the big halibut, and oh, we better get our coho just yeah. to have something to eat. Man, I love cohos. Then I absolutely love cohos. We drove a long way for hey, the cohos. Hey, 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 the coho is, uh, or the Hungarian is the coho of the West Coast. Well, if that's the case, yeah. then sign me up. So, if you like to hunt for bobwhite quail, or if you like to hunt for quail, think about a bird that's. Two times bigger, roughly in size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. one and a half. Not, yeah. I mean, they're not they're not big birds for sure. Halfway between a chicken or a sharp tail mm-hmm. and a bobwhite, somewhere there. Yep, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And similar meat color. Uh, chicken being quite a dark meat bird, and uh, 
quail being a light meat bird, the hunt is right in the middle, and it makes him the perfect eater. Oh, gosh. And, hey, shout out to your buddy, uh, Ben Lake Pickle, for that killer recipe. Throw it out there really quick so people give it a try because it is so good. Lake, you work with Lake at Onyx. Yep, exactly. So Lake was, uh, you know, the dove popper, right? Everyone does the popper, and Lake was like, I've got to do something different. So what Lake did is he put together... Uh, it was essentially a popper in a quesadilla form. So it was, if you guys want to do this out there, it is uh, cream cheese, shredded cheese, uh, jalapenos. We dice jalapenos. You can get them pickled or whatever in a jar, um, bacon, and you mix all that up together. You dice the bacon. Yep. Cooked you, bacon. Yep, cooked bacon. You yep. dice it up, mix it in a bowl. And at the same time, War, warmed up the cream cheese so that it was yeah, softer. You, yep, yep, you could mix it exactly. And you mix all of that in a bowl together. And then at the same time, we have a little flat top out here. And we just pretty much seared these. Well, in this case, we used, we used specks. Um, but we did it with doves. You can do it with huns. You could do it with pheasants. Whatever game bird you want. Mm-hmm. Um, seared that on the flat top and sliced it really thin. Um, put that mixture of, so essentially you throw that tortilla on top of the flat top, put that mixture on top, and then, you know, put a few, pretty much a few chunks of, of whatever game bird, in this case, spec, on top of that, and then put it on that flat top. And the uh, first time I had it, I was just like, Lake, you're a culinary genius, you <laughs> right. Mississippi man. <laughs> I think we got juvenile spec last night. That was unbelievable. We aren't going to go hungry up here. <laughs> no, that was sure. probably the best, uh, wow, the best goose meat ever, goose and duck. But yeah. anyway, the... It's God's never, food. I, yes. What's that, Perry? It's God's food. Yeah, yeah, it was so cool. I mean, everyone, hopefully everyone listening here is is gone out there, harvest their own stuff. And, and uh, when you harvest it and bring it in and cook it, that night or right there out know i've done it multiple times just right out in the field mm-hmm. i don't know what it is but it just makes it so it's so delicious good. and yep. what ben did last night we were all like set back in our chair like oh this is the this is it for yeah. comparison i cooked ribeyes tonight and you guys are like, hey, good steak good steak but it, we're not talking about that no we're we are about dan- the we were dancing around the kitchen Dishes like whoop whoop. Sorry, Trav. Yeah. Ben's the man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the steaks were store bought. This was like, I know. Go out I know. There and work I, for it. I actually would have preferred to, to cook up the birds. And I was shot like, the cow out there. I know, but I'm excited about some of the other dishes we're going to make up. Is this the first leg of the journey, Jeez. George? Wow. <laughs> easy. We've we got just... a lot of time left here. We are on the first. This is we're we're doing a, a double header here on the first flush uh, television filming of the season. So we're starting up here and in Alberta, you can only hunt for Hungarian partridge right now. You cannot yeah. hunt for sharp tail grouse. You cannot hunt for pheasants. Sharp tails start October one. October one, yeah. Waterfalls open, of course. Yep. Um, we're gonna get to well, we obviously. Yeah. Pheasants there October fifteenth. October fifteenth until the end of November. Okay. How are your pheasant numbers looking this year? Pretty good. From everything I hear, we had uh, all our birds survived the winter. We're still not sure uh, how the, how the broods survived this summer, but from all I hear from the 
local farmers in the river valleys and things look pretty good. And do you like back home? I mean, there are so many people committed to pheasant numbers and counts and quail and surveys. This, I, I, I mean, it's hard to gauge because there's it's so vast. We just don't know. We there's we, so much land yeah. and not as many people and to it, really grasp it. Yeah, right? and 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 we don't have the natural resource uh, support that you guys do in spring counts and uh, things like that. So. Mm-hmm. Until the crops are down and we get a week or two out here, we really don't know what's going on out there. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's... Until you get in the field here. So, uh, George, how many wheat fields did you cross to get here, do you guess? One wheat field. <laughs> that went all about. No, literally. We crossed the border. Maybe <laughs> we saw a few fences. Mm-hmm. There are a few mines out there. You know, they're, they're mining for coal. Mm-hmm. God bless those guys out there and gals out there working hard doing the mining stuff and then and then about uh 14 minutes later it was one one wheat field i yeah no not multiple just one wheat field all the way here yeah nine hours nine hours of one wheat field yeah and that's kind and of a that little bit. is why this is the place to come for hungarian partridge because they are a small grain bird ben tell us what you know about hungarian partridge well we- <laughs> I, I was the one that was yelling in the back, said one wheat field, but we did cross some pea fields and some canola fields. No, but yeah. what they have in common is they are all small grains, and that is what the Hungarian partridge thrives on, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Hey, so and, I, I will. Uh, you need a little bit of edge, you know. You need that crest of wheat grass and, and the ditches and the right of way is intact. And uh, what they really are associated with here in this country is Carragana. And we have Caragana Rose. Um, Explain what Caragana is. Yeah, like, I, I, I asked him right. today when we were uh, flying by. It was, was a like, blur. It but... looks like a Russian nala. I was like, yeah. oh, but, so I had to say Caragana like 10 times in my head really so it, I could remember yeah, what yeah. it was called. It's an exotic, and uh, it, it, it's from the old world. Um, it's an extremely deep-rooted shrub that grows about 10, 12 feet tall, uh, but they're its roots go down like 20 feet deep to hit moisture. It's super hardy. Super hardy. Su- super hardy, and uh, they were planted here um, by the PFRA, the Prairie, oh, PFRA. I can't even remember what the acronym means, but it was a, a government incentive back in the 30s, in the dirty 30s, when we uh, summer followed all our fields here, and we we're losing topsoil from the, the 30s, the, the winds. You all remember the stories of the dirty 30s. Well, to combat that soil erosion, the government um, provided caragana to farmers to plant. So we got these half-mile, mile-long windrows um, of Caragana that have just flourished on on the prairies. And uh, unfortunately, today, we continue as crop and don't have that same soil erosion problem. So suddenly these Caragana are problematic to producers because they're 120-foot-wide cultivators um, just don't kind of meet the needs 
Yeah. And, and the funny thing, though, Perry, is like we were talking to, to Darren, which you know, Darren, and and no, it was Nelson. Sorry. And he was saying that, you know, you, you've been around, you do this long enough and everything's cyclic. It's it's wet, it's dry, it's wet, it's dry. Right. So in saying that, like you're saying, people are taking out that caragana right now, but, you know, it, it, as a human, are they gonna regret in, it? in our one lifetime, yeah. right, in our, our whatever, 70 years of life, you know, that's going to cycle, right? So... It is, and 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 quite frankly, it's a lot of work to take them out. Uh, I met one landowner last year that uh, spent the winter trying to take a half mile of caragan out, and he said he'd never do it again because it was so much work, so hard to get rid of them that he didn't do it. I honestly wonder how your upland bird population in this egg country would be right now if you didn't have that. Because, yeah. I mean, what else do the Huns have? What a, Would they have old, abandoned farmyards? That's it. And they have some swales, some, some draws. But, but they seem to need that little bit of lateral cover yeah. somewhere. Somewhere to get shade in, in the heat of the days and in the, in the colder winters. They need that so, lateral cover. So, so Perry, like, what, what would you do? What is required? What things can we do as sportsmen that? You know, that PF Canada, what are things that are you doing that can help promote, whether it's partridge or pheasants? Like, how, how can we help? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, uh, our only solution is trying to provide awareness of the natural benefits that these things bring to the landscape and to society, quite frankly. We're, uh, we've got into commercial, uh, farming here like you guys have before us and and of course as you know we're putting nutrients on the ground uh applications fertilizers and and uh five six times seven times a year and without them buffer areas those nutrients are uh running right down into our water courses and into our lakes and creating blue green algae and all kinds of issues like that. And I think all we, all we can do, uh, Trav and Ben is tell everybody the benefits that these green spaces bring to our society from filtering those nutrients to sequestering carbon, to providing biodiversity opportunities for bugs and beetles. And yeah. So, not to and cut you off. Game yeah. birds. Yeah. Not to cut you off here, but uh, this audience that's listening right now gets it. Almost everyone listening right here gets it. They know the value of it, but it's the people that we need to reach. How do you reach them? And I'm just thinking about it when you were talking. It's like when you have the opportunity, like, you know, when you're talking to the lady at the door or whoever it might be that you're asking permission, or if they give you permission, just saying, thank you for leaving 100%. a little bit of that. Just, just as a reminder to them. Thank you for doing that. I, because if you don't, and then eventually they're like, well, you know what? Let's just, let's just tell that Trav, that That's one of my biggest frustrations is how to reward those people that are doing the right thing. Sure. I, that, that's, I got to find that. We, we have to. Well, I think everybody here can remind each other. And, and even the little things like, man, if I said, Travis Frank, like, hey, 
dude, thank you so much. Like, I genuinely appreciate you. Like, mm-hmm. a handshake, like, even if it's something as little as that, like, that makes you feel good, right? Mm-hmm. As a person. Yeah. So I, I, think little, like I think little it starts with awareness uh, and then peer pressure. And uh, we've got a new generation come coming up here that, that gets it. And it's getting the word out to them. Mm-hmm. newcomers yeah so you told us about this new program that you have and we're sitting here on a two track in the middle of uh the the weed field that never ends george um <laughs> uh, that, you, that you can drive down but on one side you'd give an example this is a landowner that's not abiding by yeah the rules what are the rules that you have it's a buffer strip right well yeah it, it it's actually the our roadside ditches and our right-of-ways are all protected as public land. Uh, unfortunately, they're just not pleased or enforced for their protection. And uh, so, I don't know if it's not us, if it's not Pheasants Forever, I don't know who else is, is going to make a stand for keeping those public spaces public. So, so what what is the like what is a program essentially? I mean, this is a two track road. Like, what are the stipulations? Did you say it was eighty feet? Sixty six feet. Okay. A, a right away. Yeah, is is sixty sixty six feet wide, and um, they occur every one mile east and west. Um, and our grid roads are two miles north and south. So in between every two miles north and south, uh, east and west, there should be one mile of right-of-way. And unfortunately, what's happened is when you buy the quarter section on the east side and the west side of a right-of-way, it's pretty easy to just farm that 66 feet you can for an example was there was a wheat stubble less than 10 inches from the tire track in the two track easement road that goes through the middle of that field which would be if it was gravel it was basically wheat up to the gravel and then the other side of the road you could see the 66 roughly feet right of grass that was there right and that's a law that is that a law or is that like a program it's a law. It, it it's it, it's actually a law. It's it's public land, but as mentioned, it's it's the management of of the right of ways and ditches are at the municipal level. So our counties and our municipalities police that, but they don't. They've got no money. They've got no enforcement. And quite frankly, they're all farmers. And um, I mean, these places to some look like fire hazards or weed or, or money, right? It's their li- or it's opportunity livelihood, so. or opportunity. Yeah. And nobody really cares. Nobody's looking. Nobody. And commodity prices are right. at a right. place where yeah. every square inch of this earth in southern Alberta is is. You know, know, the other interesting thing about this that we talked about, too, is you were talking about miles, two miles by a mile for your roads, right? Yeah. Everything is kilometers up here, except you guys established (laughs) miles like we did in America. Did you know this, George? Everything up here is 
is in kilometers. Well, yeah, is, we're, is measured. Yeah. No, no. But so your road in, in, system in the, yeah. was built on miles. Right. In the 70s, we changed to a metric system. But way back when, in 1905, when our provinces were established, we built a grid system built on the imperial system. <laughs> so our roads, yes, are one mile uh, east-west and two miles north-south. And uh, we're all in acres. Our sections are 640 wow. acres. And, of course, now we're in hectares and kilometers. So suddenly, we're 1.6 kilometers from one road to, instead of a mile. You know, Travis, we right? still that is such an astute observation. Thank you, but this is what happens when you spend time yes. in Perry's vehicle. Oh, we so have had Perry's. We have yeah. had very was, good conversations. So I gave you us. too much credit there. I was so like, wow, on. Travis, that is Hey, now, I got to jump in here. <laughs> so Perry and I are closer in age. <laughs> What does that and, have to do with the yeah, price of what gas? You, yeah. well, this I, has I, a lot to do with it because Perry probably, uh, you said you changed in the 70s, right? It was mid-70s. Mid-70s. So in the United States, when I was a kid and we were in school, I, mean, I was past that. I mean, anyway, we did the same thing. They pushed on it the same time. Canada and USA. Yes. We're pushing for the metric system. 100%. You notice George has an, uh, a Canadian <laughs> accent all of a sudden? You haven't been here that long. <laughs> ben and I have been talking about it. You're, you're really drawn Shut up. up. I mean, way more like. So anyway, back to this thing. Back. We're just going George, out for, you're... me and my buddies are going out for a rip. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, what's, what's crazier to me is how you guys stayed Imperial. We went metric, yet we call a 26 ounce or 25 and a half ounce, I think, ounce of whiskey. Yes, that's right. We talked through this. <laughs> Keep going. A tw- this. A t- uh, we call it a 26er. And you guys call it a one liter. <laughs> <laughs> but the whiskey's, no, but you, we're talking Canadian whiskey, so it's really well, screwed up. Hold so, well, wait a minute. There's yeah. more. So you call the 1.75 liter. A 1.75 liter in America, we call it the 60 pounder. Like, what's with that? So, I know yeah. what it is. And, and someone will dispute it. It's, it has something to do with, and I'm pretty sure it has something to do with uh, like federal regs with, with alcohol, right? But I'm going back to what Perry said in the 70s because he lived through it, I lived through it. You two guys were just a blank in someone's eye yet. Like, oh, boy, I'd like to go out with that girl. And then you, you know, <laughs> yeah, thank but- God your mom and dad found each other or you wouldn't be here. But Perry and I lived through this. <laughs> Canada went with it. The same Canada. way that we, yeah, Canada. That's how you're supposed to say Canada. But George. Perry, how do you say George? Perry, how do you say Canada? Bottles. He's dropped so uh, many of his. Canada. His. There. What do you yeah. say? It's Canada. Canada, but that's not how you just said it. Canada. Canada. Saskatchewan. Anyway, it's ironic. Mm-hmm. You guys. No, I've been listening to you. I feel like you've been living you know here what? for We're really getting it up. years. All right, continue. We've been when you get home, yeah. When you get home, talk to your parents about the 1970s when U.S. was going to go to metric. Canada, yeah. Canada was still. Yeah. I think we went because we thought you were going. Right. <laughs> I really do. 
And then and then a bunch of us. If uh, you do it, we'll do it. If you guys did it, we did yeah, well, do it. A bunch of and uh, we, fo- we Perry, follow you guys. Perry was probably. Let's. I'm gonna go. I was in ninth grade, and I'm just gonna go out on a whim here. And Perry was probably in. No, what, I was in. Sorry, I was in like fifth grade, and Perry was probably a freshman in high school, sophomore in high school. That's a hundred percent correct. Yeah. And and I'm just gonna say the fourth and fifth graders of the U.S. rose to the occasion and said, "Hell no, we're not changing. We will not go." And and actually, if you really look at it, the math works out way better. Everything's divisible. We have fractions. Did you hear that here. math? How he just said math, George. Oh I can't un- I can't unhear it. I know. It's uh, I gotta <laughs> tell you, that metric system. It, it makes su- way it's more far sense. Superior. Yeah, it Once does. you learn it, it wakes Every, yeah, it everything's makes intense. Tens. It's tens. Sorry, but, we have gotten yeah, way off wow. of the birds. And by the way, I have a horrible accent. I acknowledge that because I, oh, I hear about it all you, the what? time. So I'm just making fun of George because I don't know. We've been making fun of each other for the last few days. Yeah. That's what we do at camp. And that's and Perry, thanks for jumping right into this group. It's I've hunted with these two Yahoos for many years and i'm very blessed to be able to do it but we just like to have fun hey i gotta and tell you you guys have been uh, as pleasurable of people i've ever hunted with out here and you're welcome back here anytime we sure appreciate that it's time to start planning your next bird hunt if you've listened to this podcast for any time at all then you know where i'm about to send you that's to north dakota why? Well, it's one of the greatest places on earth to watch a bird dog in the field, that's why. In North Dakota, you can experience a waterfall hunt during the peak of the fall migration and have the best upland hunt all in the same day. I've done it many times, that's why I know it's true. Plus, this year the spring pheasant crowing counts were up 30% from last year, and the weather has been looking good for a strong hatch. Water levels are up way up, which means the total number of wetlands are up too, 76% above the long-term average, and that means more ducks and geese. The state's breeding duck index was the 23rd highest on record this year, 39% above the long-term average at 3.4 million. All of this means more pheasants than last year, more ducks than last year, and I'm hearing excellent reports about the sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarian partridge too. Start planning your world-class hunt in North Dakota at hellond.com. If you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma Trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps 
Apps, Waze, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public. The landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. We've learned a little bit today, too. Yeah. And I think, let's bring this up, because this is an important thing. I do have a video, and I think I'll probably share the video on our page at some point here when I get enough service to be able to send a full video. It's a two-and-a-half-minute video, but we're walking through this old farmyard, and all of a sudden, it's just Perry and I. You guys went the other way, and I was... I was walking next to Perry, and all of a sudden, your dog just yelps a loud yelp. Oh my! And you, uh, you went. You didn't run, but you. I mean, your dog Louie was in serious pain over there, and you could tell something was drastically, drastically. I thought he was hooked on barbed wire. That that's that was my first impression. Is that he must have got hooked up on a barbed wire fence and. Mm-hmm. He, and he'd be free in a, in a second or two. Turns out he was stuck in a snare. Oh, my God. And things got, I think, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm following behind. I saw it happen. This is your dog in this moment, stuck in a snare. And you didn't panic, but things escalated pretty quickly because had you ever seen that happen before? I have certainly heard about it happening and never dreamed it would happen to me. And no, I had not seen it and uh, couldn't believe it, that it was happening. Um, I was, uh, yeah, uh, a little bit excited at first, but uh, Travis, I got to say, your calmness and coolness in the situation helped a bit, uh, quite a bit actually, but... um, as fast as all was occurring, I was, I was only relieved when you told me, I asked you if you had a pair of pliers on you and you said, yes. And I also have a set of, uh, cable cutters. And at that point, I, I finally, my heartbeat went down a little bit. My blood pressure lowered a little bit, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I replay that and I go, how would you ever deal with that when you, if you're by yourself? Even if you had, even if you had the cutters, because it was all I could do to keep that dog calm with both my hands and all my might to let you do the surgery. It, it was. Um, yeah, it, 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 was all, it, was, it was a near-shocking experience. For sure, and it ended up okay. The dog is completely fine. We were able to cut it. I, in the back of my vest, I keep a Nipix wire cutters, and it's not heavy. It's a, it's a lure that, or it's a, a wire cutters that I've used to cut a musky hooks out of muskies for yep. years. As a fishing guide, you learn some of these things, and it's a lightweight tool. And that's the first time you've... You've obviously used That's it the first time dog. I've had to use it in the moment. I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Um, so, 
I actually, as soon as I saw where the dog was snared, I knew that I had a little bit of time. And plenty of, plenty of. Yes, time. the like, dog was not going to die. Travis it, is not putting this dog in any I, jeopardy. Any jeopardy. But I was filming you at this time when it all happened, and I thought to myself, I can do this. I can film with one hand, and I can cut this dog free with the other. So I took my vest off while rolling. Travis was as cool as a cucumber, <laughs> and it helped the whole situation. Yeah, but I took my vest off. I grabbed the, the pliers out, and I grabbed the wire cutters while, while filming because I wanted to be able to show people this can happen, and if you're not ready for it, what are you going to do? So I, I rolled on you holding your dog, and your dog, Louie, was struggling, but I also was able to get my pliers out, and I said, do you want the pliers or the cutters? And you said, let's go cutters. And so I grabbed the cutters and I had to use two hands to cut it. And so if you weren't holding your dog, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to do it the way that I did, but you were holding your dog. And I think back too, okay, if that dog is, if it's wrapped around that dog's neck, every time the dog pulls, it tightens. And that's where you're, you're at very little time. You, you don't get to, think through things yeah, you have it, to just if, act if a dog react. freaks out then like that is only shortening the time frame it has mm-hmm. yeah and this dog was it was from the snout through the through the mouth right your dog's right that behind the canine that's what saved it. Yep. he is a mouth breather he yeah. it was hot enough today and yeah. normally he runs with his mouth open and i think that's what saved him yeah. because that snare just caught the top of his jaw so it was kind of hooked right behind his canines around his snout. Yeah, that's what's important. This this was a mouth. This, the snare was in. It didn't go through a. It was in top. It was a snare. It was a. It was a snare to do the job. But the way the dog ran and got caught, yep. it was snared around his upper jaw, right. not around his neck. Right, and that's Which, a, that's why it's so important, guys. Like, uh, you know, unless you're very familiar, you're a trapper, you're familiar with all the different clasps and all the stuff on different snares because there's a bunch of them like Mm -hmm. a good players or i I can't don't even say players because players like players that back and not a players would not do it that little like cheap cutter you need a good we've talked we've talked about this on podcast before i think it's i don't know if it's ever come up on the on the flush tv show but we've talked about it on the on podcast that three of us have done about the importance of of having an appropriate cutter and it, and and I have personally said, oh, if you have a Leatherman and all that, or a pair of pliers, would not. Have um, I want to yep. retract that statement. 100%. It will not work. It will not work. Do not rely on uh, on having a Leatherman or a regular uh, snip or whatever. Get a cable cutter. They're the ones that look like a like almost like a, a crescent cre- like shape. a crescent it's, shape of a moon, right? Yep. It's so not they reach flat. around. Right. Right. You're not. You're not. You're not uh, pulling down on the cable at a 90-degree angle. It actually envelops it. Envelops it, yeah. It's a cable cutter. You need a cable cutter. 100%. And on top of that, they make some that uh, they'll say on the cable cutters not for steel, which most of that stuff is, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming, steel or stainless steel. Yeah. Yeah, So so two two things, yeah. I mean, that's these are all, this is why I want to talk about it, how important it is, because it happens really quick, and it could have been a disaster today. Had I been by myself? Yeah, exactly, Perry. Yeah, And I didn't have even a pair of pliers. 
and I was 300 yards from my truck. I have Can't no leave your dog there. idea what I would have done. Um, so what was I going to say? Here? I'll oh, never, I'll oh. never walk in the field without. Yeah, you said that in the way. You go, I will never be out here again without a wire cutter. Never in my that life. That was the scariest thing ever. But what I want to say is, I grew up as a trapper. I had uncles that trapped. They taught me how to trap. I know how to get in and around different traps and what to do in those situations to release them. A lot of people don't. And so a quick search on YouTube, how to release a conibear, how to release a snare trap, how to release a leg hold trap. You watch the video. You know what to do. If that happens, you don't want to be Googling and watching right. a YouTube video where you don't have service in the middle of nowhere and you're now panicking. And the state of Minnesota does a really good job. I believe it was the state of Minnesota. They have put out a, a lot of good resources to sure. show you yep. how to do that. So that's what, uh, you know, whether it's My, in the show notes or we'll link that. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here and, and, uh, the, the, you know, do your research about traps before this, but I'll tell you one thing, get a dog, work on your dog. Work on your dog being calm around all situations. If you have, I can stitch my dogs up and it, I've done it multiple times and people have seen it and I could, we could put my vet on here and when I walk my dog into the vet and they're having shots and they're having all this work done on them at the vet, just regular vet visits. And they're like, wow, your dog's really calm. Your dog stands still. Your dog sits still. Work on steadiness on your dog. When you're dog training, because when it comes to these situations, you can put your hands on your dog at that when it's high anxiety like that and, and pressure, the dog will actually calm down because it, calming touch, calm and, well, calm and touch that and consistent pressure on the neck means you stand still. Correct. Huge. Method, I guess I didn't think about that. The yeah. method, the method, dog training, constant pressure, Hunsmith method, whatever. Stand still, sure. Pressure means stand still, calm, just be still. Yeah, totally. I mean, you go back to the tailgate this morning, our first walk, and all of a sudden there's a pile of blood on the tailgate, and I look at Daisy's paw, and I go, "Oh no!" And you had the quick clot, and <clears throat> you know, it would just she stood there. I held her leg. You put it on. We were able to just put a wrap on it. And she didn't like the rap afterwards, but my goodness, if, if the dog did not want us to touch her, that there, would have been very challenging. There are so many dogs out there. I mean, if that would have been a lot, of, I'll go with a very high percentage. I'll go as high as 90% of other dogs. And she did. She cut not her paw on her That face, upper pad. What did they call it? Upper pad. Yeah. I should know this, but I don't. It's um, not the Duke Law. Not the Duke Law. No, the, the, pad yeah. Up, yeah. the pad up by the Duke Law. She lanced it, whatever. Yep. So. A lot of people would freak out because there was blood. I mean, it's a pad, so they bleed a fair amount. But stay if you stay calm, the dog's going to stay calm. If you do all your dog training right and you train him as a little eight-week-old eight, month, eight week old puppy and to stand still, sit still, it just makes every life so much better for these instances. She stood there like a million bucks, like she should, and we were able to, to like, put the blood uh blood stop on there yeah and it, it was no big deal it was no, just like she was just mm -hmm. wrap it up there. let's go yeah 
She and was wanted to hunt. Way. She wanted to hunt so bad. Uh, she did. She just and, saw fun. Yeah. And she hunted. She had the best covey find tonight. Oh, that's so pretty to watch. It is so like that moment that today, guys, like I would have driven here all that distance for just to see that. Before we, we in- get there, I just want to make one uh one statement that I we shouldn't put the fear that there's traps out there everywhere. We learned tonight, we called the landowner to find out, to, to tell him about the incident we had. And he informed us that um, he had given permission to an old timer to trap there. And it sounds like he passed away. And uh, so this might've been an accident, but it, yes. I just don't want to minimize the risk. Uh, anything can happen out there clearly but it's it's not normal but the risk is there. like I, I i should never i hope to never ever use my cable cutters ever but that's the first time for yep, me exactly yeah. but i yeah. what that, i that, that's i i'm i've been running dogs a long time that's the first time where i've been in the field with somebody and a dog's been caught in a snare me and too then, and then with all my dogs and i run a lot of dogs Last fall, Minnie, my little cocker, uh, there was a, uh, a, um, well, she got caught in a leg hole trap, but they, they bored a hole like in a, put the lure in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They put a, and and you know what? Love trapping. We don't want to lose our trappers. Everyone's right. It's it's good for the birds, right? It's great for the birds. It's great for, yeah. Love trapping. I trapped. He's trap beaver. He's trapped fox coyotes whatever but Minnie went up to that hole and there was a leg hole trap there and again i go back to dog training and my training Minnie, did she yell yeah she got held in a leg hole trap and she she was like like and she was 10 yards away from me tops but she didn't she just looked at me like something's got me but i think i better just sit down and not panic and I didn't panic. I walked over. I didn't know even know what a, what heck had happened. And uh, I said, "Oh, lake hole trap." Yeah. And to back to Ben's point, if you're out in the outdoors and we live in this environment, it's not just trapping. It's like electric fences. It's all the hazards out there. Think about different scenarios. Barbed wire. Mm-hmm. Barbed wire. Barbed wire. Big, huge thing. Right. <laughs> learn how to do deal with that, but. I got Minnie's leg out. She stood there with her with her paw up in the air, like, "Dad, do something about this." And I took it off her foot, and then I I put the trap up in the tree, so the so the trapper could find his trap. I didn't, you know, do anything with it. It just it, it yeah. stuff can happen, and totally. it, it's so far and few between. Accidents happen. If you listening to this podcast, odds are you probably listened to last week's episode, but if you haven't, I encourage you to do so because I broke down an entire first aid field kit start to finish with Dr. Claire, and she put together a a first aid field kit, and there's reasons why she put certain things in it. I just highly recommend you go back and listen to that episode. Paradigm, Um, right? Yeah, Paradigm Paradigm. Dog Kits. Yeah. Yeah. and Dr. Claire, she's got the it's a good kit. It's, it's a, a great, great kit. Is a and lot that's of- a way to do it. Like, I, I piecemealed mine together over the course of years, and I'm just happy I didn't have an accident on year one. Yeah, totally. And, you know, not to continue to too far down this, but, 
you know, like uh, last TV show that aired last week was about the um, the hunt that we were celebrating the the dog life members with Renee and and Emily Spoliar out in North Dakota when Renee's dog fell off the cliff, and I I got this viewer uh, message about how uh, I forget the words on it, but it was basically like how what were you guys thinking taking a dog out into that kind of a place and i think you know and i and i try to respond i haven't responded it yet because one we've been traveling i just got it but um you know just thinking about it and i'm like 99% of that that property was flat you know very gentle it had just you know some cattails some grass some crops some you know some trees and you know, there's a ravine that runs through it, and that is just standard hunting grounds in North Dakota, in South Dakota, in Montana. And but that doesn't even come close to p- comparing to what people experience in the mountains. Oh. And I think to myself, like, if you don't go and hunt a place like that, then I don't know that you should go hunt anywhere. Every or, or, or the hazards in an abandoned farmyard. I thought about that a oh, lot. Nails and uh, implements, but and yes. wells. Yeah. Every- I've I've lost a dog in a well, in, in, in an abandoned farmyard in this country. Hold on a second. I want Ben to finish his thought here, but I want to hear about this well yeah. story because that sounds interesting. I was going to say every every single time you drop a dog on the ground, there's a chance that that dog is going to get hurt. That chances that, mm-hmm. that dog's going to die, and if you're not willing to take that risk, don't do it. Don't hunt every don't time. Hunt. Don't have a hunting dog because. It is a very distinct possibility yeah, whether it gets happen. hit by a stop. So d- if you're that kind of person, then don't drive a car because that's the most dangerous thing you can possibly do. Don't get a mountain bike. Don't go out on the trail system. Don't go hiking. <laughs> on, don't, don't, don't go in the sun. The sun's pretty dang dangerous. Well, no, it's in all seriousness. It's like there's mountain bike enthusiasts that go hardcore, right? Yeah, I mean they're out there, and there's a lot of in the Mountain West where they're where they go to the top of the mountain, they race to the bottom. Don't do it. Right. Don't take an right. athlete. If you can box in an athlete, our dogs are athletes. You got to ask them for stuff. And and I watch Travis. I watched the show. I've hunted that same scenario. I cannot tell you how many countless of times. North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Northern Wisconsin, Iowa. Where I live, there are creeks and river bottoms. That drop was, yes, part of it looked pretty high, but I don't know how the dog fell. 50 feet. 50 feet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. 50 feet. It, it, that's a two story. We were standing on 50 feet today. Correct. Right? Like our dogs could have fallen. Amos could have so, fallen off yes. 50 feet today. Yes. It's a one in a, it's one in 10 million chances yes. of anything happening to that dog. And the dog's well trained. Which, by the way, I got a text from. Renee, quill-pointed, sharp-tailed grouse, and she harvested three of them off of quill. And she's, I'm so pumped. Like, I have goosebumps right now because, amazingly, the dog survived. She poured her heart and soul into rehabbing with quill, and she got to take him out, and he's hunting. That's, that's, um, I'm a little choked up because that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I was kind of on the front line, but a distance away. You got, I called you first 
when we got back to the vehicle after we Tra- Travis called home. me the second you got the dog out and said I need some help here yeah and uh uh my hat's off to Renee yeah it's it's a special for her it takes a lot of work to rehab a dog and 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 she uh put her heart and soul into that pup and and that's amazing amazing in it and just a testament to the will of of an animal too that's so encouraging awesome yep definitely okay um abandoned farmyards abandoned farmyards and losing a dog down a well wow yeah i pointed one out today to somebody i can't i thought it was you george we were walking through an abandoned farmyard and there was a square hole in that crested wheatgrass it's correct you know knee high and those old wells are pretty much hidden. Anyway, it was 25 years ago. I had an American Brittany named Typha, a uh, beautiful, beautiful dog, great on the huns. And we we're in a big farmyard. It was like 10 acres, big open area. And it was more than once I lost her to a point for 15, 20 minutes and just, you know, Never had electronics in them days. Never had bells. And so all the dogs on point somewhere. And, uh, well, a half an hour later, still optimistic that dogs on point. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> and and I literally have seen. Right. Yeah. 15, 20 minute, half hour points. Losing dogs. But, uh, and was still hopeful that was the case here. And I can't remember exactly how, but walking back through that yard, here we found a bloody well that was just a square hole in that ground, three feet by three feet, about eight feet deep. And that Brittany was at the bottom of that well. And uh, thank God I had a buddy because it took me to get down there and him to haul me out uh, with the dog in tow. But, and you're uh, and you're a big boy today. Yeah, you have a huge he's winch? a good man. I can haul Travis out. <laughs> I'm not sure Travis can haul me out. I think I was in better shape back then, and you know, was that, pretty good on my own. Uh, well, you're uh, gonna see on this on this show that uh, we've hunted for a variety of birds here. The waterfowl hunting up here is amazing. This is a prairie pothole region. This is a breeding grounds for waterfowl in north america there's a reason why this is a place for waterfowl hunters to come to we didn't come this far we weren't going to come this far without throwing out some decoys ben i don't know 60 dozen decoys or something that manual but yeah we had a lot <laughs> yeah we did yeah you don't do anything without doing it all in which i love uh we we're going to show uh, quite a bit of that but let we'll wrap it up with the with the huns here they're not locusts anymore Things They're have not changed up anymore. Here. But would you still say this is the best place in North America to come to hunt for Hungarian partridge? Yeah, I. Uh, this is the Palliser's Triangle. This is the heart of the Palliser's Triangle. I, I don't know if you know much about Palliser. He was a fellow that founded this country. And uh, there's a triangle that goes from about, uh, oh, not uh, maybe just south of Lloyd Minister right through down to Regina, Saskatchewan, and Estevan to the east. And from that same point at Lloyd Minister runs down to about Lethbridge, Alberta. And uh, 
of course, the Saskatchewan-Alberta border would be the absolute heart of that. And we're hunting right on the, the middle of that Palliser Triangle, if you were. So Palliser Triangle is famous for its dryness and its droughts. And we go through them and them Huns last through them. Unfortunately, we've had four years of drought. And I've seen these guys go through two years of drought easily. Clearly four years with the edges that we've lost has crippled these birds right now. Which which is incredible because we have seen a lot of partridge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I there okay, so let's just take one farmyard today that we got into some birds. Boone's on point. My dog's on point. We go to flush what we think is a covey from Boone's point. And in doing so, we come around the kind of... Caragana. Caraganas. And I flush a covey of about 25, I'd say, 20 birds, something like that, off of Daisy's point. She's standing there. She's like, what are you guys doing? She's on the other side. I can't see her. We go in. There's birds that get up in this other beautiful golden grass and an old wooden farmyard and it's just like i mean it is exactly what you envision when you the think quint- about the quintessential, quintessential hungarian old, partridge yeah yes, old farmstead that's was built in rock pile rock piles mach- yes. old machinery that mm-hmm. like, not machinery but tilling implements implements oh i think what i was gonna get to is that we probably ended up seeing about a hundred partridge in that one abandoned Uh, farmyard and this is less what what pair you say couple three four five acres maybe five acres at the most yeah Yeah. about that Mm -hmm. yeah i would go yeah i would go five ten acres in there when perry when we i I got it perry is not lied one one time he's like yeah this spot's gonna have three or four coveys and I'm looking at it, I'm going, what? It's 10 acres. Well, yeah. 10 acres. There's <laughs> not, there's, there can't be. Back home, because, if you have two or three coveys in a section, that's a lot. And so, that's a so what I'm thinking acres. about is yeah. like quail, right? Yeah. So, and, and people that live and breathe in quail country might go, no, we see the same thing, but it's not my experience, right? So if I saw that, I'd go, wow, if I could find a covey in there, primo. Mm-hmm. And I figure 18, 20 birds. And then we go in there, and yeah, there's three or four coveys. Mm-hmm. Coveys living in, sure. that, in that area, 10 acres or 20, you know, 10 acres. One of them had way more than 25 birds in it, too, which is. Yeah, not, I, a, covey, not a covey, eight birds. We're yeah. talking coveys yeah. of the, 18 the to 25. Explosion, yeah, right. The explosion when that many come out at one time. How they know to all go at once. I mean, it is just one of the coolest well, things in Upland Bird. Yeah, the rush of the so flush. so cool. Today, in the heat like of the that. day. Perry, that. hold on. Perry, that's Rush not... of the flush. That's I a... haven't heard that before. No, yeah. that's like the fourth time you said it. <laughs> Maybe because. I'm, I'm not a big listener, though. Yeah, you're not. You need to pay more attention. But Perry and I were talking, you know, getting ready, getting ready to go hunt the ground. And I was like, isn't this, ex- this just gives me such a rush. When the dog was on point in the flush, and he goes, "Yeah, and the the, the rush, rush of the, of the flush. flush." And like, we saw that through the heat of the day, when those birds were all coveyed up, and they all came from one spot and all went one way. But if you notice that last farmyard we went in tonight, 
It was after four o'clock. Most of the birds are out and about now feeding. And that covey was spread out about 50 yards wide, right? Those birds yeah. were feeding. And, and, and I know we're trying to probably trying to wrap it up, but I would love Perry for you to touch on like just how you hunt these birds up here because yeah, that, that, it, it is, it's so different from how we do it. What I expected, what I knew, what I didn't know. Like I've learned a ton about Hungarian partridge from hunting with you. Well, I guess it's, it's a hard thing to compare. We're dealing with landscape and, uh, as you've seen, we're in a sea of cultivation. And just about anything that breaks up that sea of cultivation is probable to hold a hunt. Now, that, to, to, to be near that cover, to be a in hun, that Hold cover, on a second. A hunt, which we have proven yes. is possible. You said today that single hunt that we saw this I've morning. I've never seen that in my life. Never seen that before. <laughs> I and so God, I've racked my brains. I can't remember ever seeing one hunt. They yeah. always find a covey right. to join with, right? Right. Like a covey of huns isn't one brood. It possibly is two or three broods that crash or join together. And, uh, yeah, we saw a lone hunt on the road today, and Travis and I looked at each other and said, well, isn't you never, ever, is there one hunt? And we were sure we were going to walk into a covey, but nope, it yeah. was one it hunt. It was the one hunt, yeah. still out there. We hope it finds a covey somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, get back to your, your, the strategy here is very much not necessarily walking because you, you might have, a mile before a, you reach the next objective. yeah it's 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 kind of uh there's so much space out there you you you, you have to to be successful in harvesting birds if that's what you're looking for if that's the stage you are in waterfowl or stage you are in uh, as a sportsman to want to shoot birds then you kind of gotta learn how to concentrate them and uh anytime it's hot weather or cold weather, they're going to find thermal cover. So anything on the prairie that breaks up the prairie, uh, particularly abandoned farmyards uh, and or windrows, uh, field corners, rock piles, rock piles, mm -hmm. anywhere like that is, is apt to hold hunts. And, um, yeah, so we've been is very there kind of the strategy is to objective minded hunting, as I would say. Yeah, very much. I mean, it, yeah. And I then mean, the more like efficient you can be at getting to more of those spots in a day, the more successful you're going to be. Sure. The other thing that I've really taken away from you is the time period that you're trying to be out there. When I said the first day, I was like, gosh, Perry, it's, it's hot. I mean, it was 87 degrees or 85, and I don't know how many Celsius that is, but um, And I said hot. to you. And that, you that, said, I said, it's, it's going to be tough on that. He goes, that's our friend. The, the heat, heat is the, our friend. The heat is our friend because uh, those birds need shade, and um, they're, they're going to be in lateral cover, and that means caragana. Um, I don't know if many of your listeners are bone fishermen, but I do that too. And uh, mangroves in the Bahamas are home to where you can catch bonefish quite easily. 
But when they leave them mangroves, they go into the flats. And uh, you spend a lot of time walking bald flats, uh, unsuccessfully fishing. It's the same thing with the hunts. The caragana is to... Um, the hunt, the hunt that that what that the mangrove is are to bonefish, and yeah. uh, so it's almost impossible to hunt them whole quarter sections of stubble. But when the weather's cold or hot, they're going to be near that lateral cover, and it's mostly caragana. It mm-hmm. makes a ton of sense. I mean, because George and I spent a few days hunting before, and we went early, right? Because that's what we do. We we want to get out there, get out there, get our dogs Maximize out there, the when, especially when it's cooler. And we got in a lot. We got into birds, right? But a lot of the times they were in the wheat where they were less likely to hold. And yeah, it was just interesting. Yeah, they're definitely uh, at least fifty to a hundred yards from the ed- from the edge cover, whatever that edge might be. And that's and Perry brought it up many times. It's like without and with all our game birds, if and especially uh, uh, seems more like a covey bird, like quail and huns, they need edge. They got to have edges, and they got to have well, they all our game birds need habitat. But anyway, Ben's point is, we got there early. The birds have already left. They're they're out and about. They're the overnight roosting, roosting cover, cover yeah. and they were out in the wheat, and we we're like we we're, we were so concentrated. It was funny. So the first time we let the dogs out, we get up. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, we give our whistle, or we say all right, and boom, the breakaway two pointers just go <laughs> flying off like jet, like jets off an aircraft carrier. <laughs> and where do they go? We're from the Midwest, and a lot we do on, you know, pheasant hunting. They go right to the thickest, like <laughs> yeah, it, in the I'm middle like, of this, <laughs> these old dried up sloughs. Yeah, and we're like, yeah, they're not going to be in there. <laughs> uh, bur- dogs are not going to be in cover that's Brown that they grass. can't get through that's four feet high. Yeah. So, and and then I'll say, not in the first. It, it took the dogs at least a couple braces to go. Oh wait, we're not finding anything where we usually find them. And the dogs quickly adapted to go running to edges, s- running edges. Yeah. And then, and then, um, what's the grass, Perry, that you talk about? Crested wheatgrass. Crested wheatgrass, yeah. So they they hone in on that really quick, and then they got points. And it's it's like, dry oh, and sparse. Okay. And yeah. They can run through that easy. That yeah. brome grass that's knee-deep in green, they don't want any of that moisture, any of that inability to sense predators. That's shorter grass. It's well, and they're small. And yeah. So just think about trying to. Like if you're in a forest trying to push through the trees, you know, they, they've got to do the same thing. If the bird has to manipulate them themselves through the cover, the thicker the cover, the smaller the bird, the less likely they're going to be there. Slim down the cover, mm-hmm. they'll be in there. So anyway. Yeah. We are excited to show you what we've learned up here. I think I'll wrap it up by saying, again, we've been blessed to go on an adventure like this. If you have the opportunity to go on an adventure a bird hunting adventure into a place you've never been before, do it because it's so great to go somewhere you've never been to see things you've never seen, meet people that you've never met before. You'll leave friends. You'll leave a better hunter. You'll leave with a lot of gratitude for the land and the birds that live in different places. As well as I'd be remiss as so Perry is wearing a pretty dang cool hat right now. Yeah. 
So it's the Pheasants Forever hat with the little maple leaf on it. Perry, you got to figure out a way for our <laughs> our southern brethren from the United States to get a hold of those hats. <laughs> when you handed us those hats, oh, I we looked were at it like, and I said, I will never wear this. I am going to put this <laughs> in my office and I'm going to hang it up. It is a Pheasants Forever logo with that maple leaf and it is so cool i know because it can't is the get, coolest and, hat. and try, like we get a lot of hats so yeah. you get a lot of hats and i was like dang this hat is so sweet yeah, yeah. so you've got to run some promotion where people can join pheasants forever canada and get that join hands pheasants on that forever cool canada. hat well join maybe pheasants. we'll bring some down to pheasant fest next there year. we go i there like it very thanks for the start. hospitality here Gentlemen, we got to get to bed because we still have another day to hunt in Canada here before this road trip takes us back down into American soil. We will be back with a report from North Dakota. North Dakota. North Dakota. See you next week on another episode of the Flush Podcast. Flush Podcast.